think it's so long. I generally don't have any proper concept of time. I was scrolling back through my contacts to find the interview, and I think it was 2019 or something. Yeah, that's like, right. Oh, okay. It didn't really seem like it was that long since we spoke. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Like and so much has happened flown. in between. Mm-hmm. Um, for you especially, you're now Papa Hoover, right? Yeah. <laughs> How's that going? It's a lot of fun. It's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's, um, uh, you have just one child, right? It's a, yep. you have a boy. Yep. Yeah. How old? He is almost 11 months. Wow. Okay. You're still in that. Wow. You're still in that sort of bent over in half, supporting his arms, mm-hmm. breaking your back phase, which is, it's an awesome phase. It's, it's like, yeah. it's well, he, a, he, he definitely breaks backs. He's quite a big guy. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. I was just going to say that was one of the few times, um, in my life, I was kind of glad I wasn't a tall person, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's cool. Okay. This is not so much of a bend. See them I'm six foot, six foot and a half dads, you know, twisted over the nursery. Um, so, you know, I love that side of things. I think having a family is amazing. It's the best thing anybody can do, but there are some pulls, you know, on your time and on your life, as far as, chasing the crypto dream go and it would be interesting to know from your perspective what those pulls if any you know might have been what is the struggle especially with energy levels i assume your work as well how do you how do you cope with that now it's it's taken some getting used to i mean obviously we haven't done much um in about two years because of you know pregnancy and then now kid Mm. Um, but now that he is, you know, at a manageable age where it's, he, you know, one of us, you know, either I or my fiance can kind of handle him on our own. Things are easier. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I will, you know, I will be, you know, after first of the year, you know, kind of back into semi full-time, you know, hopefully more, more so full-time cryptid investigating Wow. Uh, and what's what's the plan? Who have you got in your sights? Which which cryptid is is uh, is first for the conquest? It's too many. <laughs> uh, in North America, it's, it's especially, it, you guys are spoiled for choice. Yeah, I mean, we've got we we've got we've got a list that we're kind of compiling. You know, we definitely have ones that we you know want to go after more than others, and. Uh, I know. I think there was like the last meeting we had. I think we were kind of leaning to towards kind of starting with like a skunk ape, uh, go down to Florida and wow, fight fight gators again and mm. um, and yeah, we want to get we yeah we want to get back uh, abroad again now that everything's kind of opening up again. And... Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's so many places to visit in that in that sense i was wondering about florida because you guys um you did i I remember seeing one of your clips the big barge the big old style um uh sort of swamp barge floating through was that through the everglades or was that more in louisiana that was was louisiana was that for the loop guru or Tell me about that. That's always fascinated me because, um, and this is one of the things I want to ask you about today, actually. 
there's that whole cryptid co- crossover sometimes, one with uh, folklore and legend and uh, with creatures that may or may not exist with modern sightings. But in North America, there's, you know, there's a double or even a triple with a loop crew aspect to that, whereas there's a, a European transplant of the legend into the area. There's a Native American legend of the creature and also a modern, you know, conception and perspective of that how do you pull those elements apart to see what the the real creature may be it's really tough sometimes i mean like you know there's there's ones where when you're researching them it's it's very much like okay it's no matter what thread you pull on it's more folkloric you know and that mm-hmm. was kind of the case with pagwedges and some of the stuff that we've investigated in europe and then uh you know but then on the other hand you get the ones where it's like you know no matter what you know same you know same analogy what no matter what thread you pull on it's you know this this is out of anything more po- uh, more possible and plausible to exist physically mm-hmm. as a you know flesh and blood animal uh Ruguru was was a tough one i know with both Ruguru and pakwaji those were both uh ones that kind of rooted themselves more on that folkloric side pakwaji is just, you know more so specifically mm-hmm. um I mean, Ruguru is an interesting one. I mean, it, it follows kind of in line with a lot of the, you know, the kind of dogman phenomena, but has more of that supernatural uh, kind of feel to it and, and mm-hmm. vibe to it. And, you know, the 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 stories go way farther back than a lot of the kind of classic dogman stuff. And it is a lot more rooted in that superstition, you know, folklore side. You is know, it like a regional the... skinwalker of a type or, or not Kinda? really? Kind of. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it, it seems like it takes the same form, but yeah, it, from what we kind of gathered, both in like the with the guy we interviewed and then mm-hmm. just kind of general research, it seems like it, you know, it it is like that physical manifestation of guilt where it, you know, it just kind of like looms over you, but it's always mm-hmm. kind of, it seems to always take the form of some sort of large canine uh, oh. versus Skinwalker where it can be kind of anything, you know, really I mean, obviously that that stuff is kind of you kind of hear more so as a wolf or a coyote but oh but it can be anything essentially yeah. skin can't it? yeah i remember that that was that was interesting to me actually and i wondered if a lot of the canine interpretations were more of our own you know in the modern sense for that particular creature um even if you watch something like skinwalker ranch you get to quite figure out what where the skinwalker is you know <laughs> like yeah it's I think... a weird it's more like a a synonym for strange goings on or yeah something i feel like, like yeah, i feel like in the case of skinwalker ranch it's that's just kind of the i know they always talk about how there are a lot of native american skinwalker stories in that <clears throat> region that's kind of why <clears throat> it just was uh, like this area is surrounded yeah. by several different stories of this so let's just call it this like but yet but yeah from i've watched the show and i don't i've never really seen anything that's really like skinwalker-esque yeah in, in yeah. what you would think about when you think of this yeah character. like this big hulking transformative yeah. in fact that that whole thing like i did a little deep dive in in one of the books about that and it was um about why we we choose these wolf-like creatures to represent this animalistic change you know this um either in the old times uh, there's a story isn't there of uh, king lycon um in um in greece and He's he's basically changed into a wolf when he attempts to feed uh, the entrails of his son, I think, to, to Zeus, to fool the god into eating human flesh. He 
he's transformed into a wolf for nine years as punishment or there's another story of um i forget the, the very details of it now but after a, a similar ritual sacrifice of a young child and eating the flesh one of the the characters also turns into a wolf for nine years and you know, i wonder is there something sort of ritualistic and sacrificial in our past in many cultures in fact where we've we've seen these terrible deeds as resulting in this sort of punishment or this transformation of the individual that, that carries them out. Um, and it was a thing I was looking at, the Weir Hyena in Ethiopia, or the Hyena Man, and they have similar stories there, except for there it's a hyena-like creature that can turn into a person also and disguise itself as a person. It's all wrapped up in all sort of prejudices against Jews and other things and blacksmiths in that country. But, you know, there's that, that rooted... Um, mystery there again, but it's not a wolf because they don't have wolves. It's a hyena because that's their local savage beast. And it was like a strange correlation between that. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, if we're still seeing things, why does it have a regional variation with a representative creature that's not a wolf, you know, in Africa? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of these cultures almost do have a werewolf legend, you know, and it's, it, I mean, it, it, yeah, I feel like it's, you know, you're, the wolves are, you know, wolves or hyenas, you know, any sort of, you know, mm. kind of apex predator creature is kind of usually like, that's kind of what these cultures were always kind of fighting against, always had to watch out for. Mm. So I feel like it, you know, it almost became almost just like that boogeyman story where it's like, you know, oh, you know, don't do this. Otherwise, you're going to become one yeah. of these things and then we're going to have to, you know, kind of defend ourselves like, you know, from you or we're going to have to hunt you or, you know, kind of whatever. You just become this animalistic, you know, predator, no longer human, only, you know, one goal in mind and that's to kill kind of the thing. And kind of betraying the moral code of the community and, and things like that, perhaps. Yeah. It's interesting. It's very. I, I I find it fascinating because yeah, I know people nationally who definitely definitely say that they have seen something that represents uh, re resembles a werewolf or you know a large wolf-like upright creature of sorts. And and of course, some stories are a bit more far out than others. But there's a few individuals who I wholeheartedly, 100% believe, and yet I can't kind of justify in my mind what they might have seen. I, I remember, and I included it in, in something recently, the Lauren Coleman theory um, about the, the giant monkey, you know, a, a giant species of monkey like the Iznachi or the Cardan or the um, Zavache, and that's, you know, five to six feet tall and has this baboon or dog-like appearance in some way. Could that be a valid, I mean, I thought it was a great theory, actually, they put forward there, and it's not very popular, could that be a valid explanation for, you know, what we might have called werewolves or uh, what the First Nations people might have mistaken for skinwalkers or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I the dog the dogman stuff is getting really pretty crazy lately. Mm. Um, I mean, I take a lot of it with a grain of salt just because it's it it just it seems almost too far fetched. But yeah, I, I, I'm definitely in the same boat with you where it's like, I do know some people that, you know, I, I you know, wholeheartedly believe I know them, I trust them, and they have seen some things that they would describe as a large yeah. canine, a 
upright. So yeah, I think you know, I think it just it, dogman stuff kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of Bigfoot stuff, where it's you know you kind of have to really sift through mm. a lot of the nonsense that the internet has unfortunately. Yeah, it's forward. like a genre as well as a, a, a phenomenon. It's also yeah. a genre and has a fan base. It's yeah, and, it's the uh, new in thing. It's you know, it's the new yeah encrypted. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you. No, I'm with you. It, it is in, and that that that's always troubling for researchers because you know desire to to for something to manifest can be can have strong effects on various personalities, you know. And I I have met people that um, are unaware that they are lying when they're lying. That's how sort of taken in a psychosis, but whatever the syndrome is that they they're having, like there's some attention seeking. Um, or affirming uh, issue, and it's kind of scary to watch in a way when you know somebody's lying, and yet, you know, they they believe it at the time. It's a, it's a strange thing. And of course, you know, we're in that genre where it's a big ask to ask anybody to believe that there could possibly be even a Bigfoot. That's mm -hmm. a one big giant ask, and then you want to we want to stick a dogman on top of that and something else, and yet. You know, this is the kind of pantheon of things we're looking for. Um, let's look at a, a few other things that you guys have been searching for. I love lake monsters, and you guys yes. have done some lake monster research, and not in like super well-known lake monster hotspots either, not like Champlain or Lake Okanagan. You, you, you've gone uh, sort of a bit more left field there. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, I mean we uh, here in Minnesota we have our own kind of you know regional messy. And uh, so, you know, we've done, you know, I personally have done, you know, a ton of research on this. You know, I've been until, you know, I, I only live like an hour from the lake. So I, I get out, I, you know, I haven't been out there as much lately as I would like, but I, you know, used to go out there, you know, at least once a month um, and just kind of, you know, see what I could see. And, you know, we did have, when we shot, our uh, Jason Legends episode out there back in 2014, we did have some form of sighting, you know, something, you know, that kind of stood out as, oh, wow. you know, that was similar to eyewitness reports to us. <clears throat> you know, it was a kind of just out of, out of place wake that just kind of appeared and appeared, you know, looked like it was moving and then, you know, eventually disappeared. Um, and then, you know, all the times I've been out there since, I've yet to see anything similar. So, I mean, yeah. it could have been, could have been just kind of an, you know, an unusual wave pattern. It could have been something, you know, it's it's tough to tell. Uh, Lake Pepin, unfortunately, is not very deep. Um, so the well, idea that it, steps, you know, it changes all the time because it's a part of the Mississippi River. Ah, okay. So, so there's it's... a lot of, you know, there's a lot of silt buildup, mm. and you know, so there's the depth is always kind of evolving and. Right. Okay. I want to say at the time, the deepest point was maybe 80 feet. Still reasonable. So not, not, you know, not, you know, it's no Loch Ness by any measure, no. but it's, you know, no. it's, it's deep enough where, you know, something big could potentially live. But I mean, that's a, that's one kind of area in this, you know, mm. lake that is similar in size, uh, size geographically to Loch Ness. You know, it's 23 miles long and like a mile okay. and a half wide. So, and it connects to the Mississippi River. It has yep, an out. Yeah, so it's it's almost yeah, it's 
yeah, like the the river, it's it's basically the Mississippi River, but it 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 widens out enough where it they can classify it as a lake, I guess. Yeah. But, um, I mean, and is that via the Mississippi River? Could it eventually make its way out to the sea? Is that a possibility? Um, that was or one theory that impediments. That was one theory that Chad Lewis had brought up was that it, it if if it is something, it could have been something that worked its way up and then. Mm as over time as like the dams got put in along the Mississippi, it got trapped and uh. was just kind of stuck there. Um, but like I said, like, you know, the, the 80 foot, the, 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 the mm. area of the lake where it's 80 feet is like one small portion of this. Like the average depth is maybe 30 feet. Okay. So okay. it's, it's shallow enough where there was, should be more, Sightings, sightings if it is what people kind of claim they're seeing which okay. is like that classic kind of like neck and hump um, are there i'm so sorry because i'm so curious about these things are there adjoining lakes to it and adjoining rivers i mean are there places that could be when it's not there so it could definitely go to the mississippi river which is huge right and as a reasonable depth throughout are, are there um sort of stop-offs and locales where this creature could spend part of the year is what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple little offshoots, you know, farther south more. Um, and I know uh, Chad Lewis has also proposed that there could be, you know, caves or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, they call it the Money Mississippi for a river. Like, it's, you cannot see. It's, you know, once, okay. once you get in a little bit, it's just black. You know, there's just so much sediment and, you know, mud and, you know, everything. Like, it's not, you know, it's not clean by any okay. means. So, I mean, it, you could, I mean, something could easily hide and not be seen and swim right by you. And you would never know as long as it was deep enough or it wouldn't disturb the surface. Um, but, I, I think, like I, I said, if it, is, yeah. if it is something that would need to surface for air, you would see, you know, And more, this is the... This is the rub always, isn't it? You know, the air thing. Um, you, you might remember Scott Mardis, who passed away last year. He mm -hmm. proposed cloacal bursae, similar to that of the, you know, Hawkesbury River turtle and other turtles, where oxygen is actually, because apparently um, it has a different, uh, similar, the plesiosaur-like animal, for example, has a similar structure there to a turtle. So, he proposed, you know, is this a possibility? Are we looking at creatures that can stay submerged for days at a time? And yeah. then, you know, it can aspirate, can um, can gain oxygen directly from water and occasionally then come up to take a little breath. At least in Loch Ness, that kind of made sense. Although, you know, it's so choppy there and the waves move so weirdly at, at the loch that something just popped its head up slightly for a little breather. Now and again, you'd never notice anyway. Yeah. You know, is is it like that? Uh, like Pepin, is it is it quite? Is the water quite choppy and rough, or is it quite a smooth? Yeah, I've never I've never been out there, and it hasn't been. You know, you know, it's never still. Okay. It's you know, okay. there's oh, I mean, it's like a, it's part of the Mississippi, so there's a constant okay. current ripping right through that thing, and there's a lot of undercurrents and yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's it's totally possible that I mean, and if you you know you're, I mean, this is like a like a tourist destination like mm. people go out there all the time and boat and stuff like that so if you're if you're not looking for it you're not gonna you know mm. you're not gonna think they'll see anything i mean and uh you know and i've talked to some people out there that are you know 
pretty prominent members of the community that have, have claimed to see mm -hmm. it, you know, and I have talked to some people that, you know, are pretty well versed in like the fish, you know, the fish species that live, live out there. And, you know, I, I did hear someone say that, you know, that it's possible that there's a surgeon in the lake and there's gar in the lake, you know, mm -hmm. which are kind of your classic, uh, you know, misidentification cases when it comes to lake monsters. But that can't count for everything because there's some good photographic evidence that yeah. I look at and I'm like, that's no way a, a sturgeon. Like, there's no way in hell that that's a fish. You know, is, so are, it, are they humped photos or yeah. um, head and neck photos as well? Oh, yeah. or, wow. I mean, this is the thing, you know, time and time again. And um, I know it's not a popular theory about lake monsters, that they're prehistoric survivors of some kind. But I just, for the large amount of lake monster sightings anyway, all of them. I just can't think of anything that fits better. When you get this head and neck sort of action coming out, what else could really fit that? I remember somebody here at Whitlock Ness told me and there was a theory that it was a giant mudskipper with a plesiosaur head and neck shaped lure on its head. And my first question was, well, if the lure is that big, how big are the fish it's trying to catch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is insane. This is like... A, an alternative explanation for the sake of escaping that prehistoric survivor explanation that that it, it sounds incredulous you know why would you even think that other than we can't possibly allow it to be this prehistoric survivor and it's not a popular opinion i know that um but, but what are your thoughts what, what do you think it could be what creature matches up with those types I, of dimensions i want to say you know i want to say that every you know almost every lake creature in the world is probably something different you know it, it's possible that they're all it could be similar similar i'm when it comes to like lake champlain i'm definitely on like the giant turtle team uh -huh. um just from being out there and just talking to people and seeing some of the the video footage and the photo mm -hmm. footage and the, and the photo evidence and stuff like that where it's like this you know this seems like it's that's could be kind of what it is that's you know, interesting it's been able to, i mean Obviously, we're talking about, you know, Lake Champlain versus Lake Pepin, which, you know, Champlain is known to be, you know, 420 feet deep. And that's mm. the known depth. I mean, yeah. and then there's, and then you take into account the the literal mountain range in the middle of the lake that has never been explored and could have wow. caves. And, yeah. You know, it's about 114 of, feet long or something. Uh, it's uh, 114 miles, sorry, long. Is that uh, I think? Uh, or is it 120 something like that? I mean, it's it's in 120 feet or okay. 125 miles or 20 blah, 120 miles long. Yeah, something like that. 14 you know, and it starts miles up in Quebec wide and one goes. And, yeah, yeah, it's it's massive. Like it's yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely and then, you know, there's tons of you know, there's a you know, a few different river systems that flow in and out of the lake you know it, it has it's like that it has like the perfect habitat mm. i mean obviously it gets cold up there but it has a perfect habitat where something could live and yep. live happily <laughs> and not get you know disturbed very often um when it comes to pepin i have no idea i mean it could be a large turtle but it gets really cold here mm. um and you know i've been out and i've been out on pepin in january and it's completely frozen over and you can walk across it like wow you know, it it's, uh, you know, so if whatever it is, it's it obviously is well versed with the cold and either hibernates or you know, exists under the ice. Which then, in, then in case mm. it's obviously nothing that would need to come up for air if it. That's you know, interesting. It's interesting to 
survive without you know breaking through the ice i mean and the ice gets thick out there too like i mean it's maybe you, I, like, you there were people driving their vehicles across the lake with one time when i was up wow there, like middle of it, you know yeah um i mean you know we don't think about things like that over here i think um you do have turtles in lake pepin though don't you mm-hmm. do oh, they yeah, hibernate or do they go into torpor if they're stuck into the the that would said that would interest me. Do they dig into the banks and hibernate, or are they they go into a state of torpor during that time, like some some animals do? Yeah, I guess I'm not entirely sure. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of turtles, but I guess I don't. I haven't really looked into their <clears throat> how they hibernate and such. But no, no, sure. I mean, I know that you know some of the alligators do it, don't they? A bit further up north. Yep. Um, yeah, they, they like just, stick their yeah over and yeah so i'm wondering if there's a a similar thing going on then if that itself is a key to the creature's survival as well again you know if they've got some similarities to turtles or whatever the thing is is um is within that family or a a similar type to me it's fascinating because more than um dogman and other things maybe not as much as bigfoot but maybe equally witnesses who see these types of creatures are are sort of very random they don't generally tend to be people who are out there looking for it they're just yep. random witnesses it's the same with most lake monsters perhaps not log mess where people are really going to find something but usually it's it's a surprising encounter they're not really sure what they're seeing the the descriptions Tend yeah, to, yeah. To, to, I mean, really if, it's, well. if it's not a if it's not a mainstream thing, you know, like Loch Ness is like, you know, you go to Loch Ness, yeah. you're like, oh hell yeah, like we're gonna see this monster. But you know, it's like, you know, we talk to people out at Lake Champlain that you know, I mean, a lot of businesses around the lake they kind of advertise it, like you know, they mm. they are they make it a part of it. But like, if you don't know anything about cryptozoology, you've never heard of Champ, you know, you see these <clears> things, <throat> and you're just gonna think, okay, whatever, like you're just gonna laugh yeah. at it. But then you see something and it's like, oh, okay. Obviously, these, you know, these signs and these paintings obviously were meant to something because obviously there's something strange here. Mm -hmm. But it's like uh, uh, one thing with like Champlain is like we talk with we talk to people that they know that lake like the back of their hand. They know everything that's in it. They know everything below it. Mm -hmm. They know everything above it. And then they see something that shouldn't be there. It's like those are the people that I believe Mm -hmm. because they've seen something that they've never seen before and they've seen everything mm. so it's like okay that we have to take this you know we have to take this seriously you know, yeah what are those same, guys I mean, you're gonna get those yeah they yeah, know the lake inside get, out yeah you're gonna get those i mean you're gonna get those type of people with any sort of lake creature and then those are the people you need to find mm. because these are the you know they said you know there's the one with pepin where there is one guy that has refused to do any sort of public interviews <sighs> You go in, if you know about him, and you go in, I, I've, I found this guy literally from talking, it was like a, like a, basically talking for one person, they're like, oh, talk to this person, and then mm. that was, you know, and then I found this guy, and this is the guy that took, like, the photo that's, like, you know, the really good peppy photo, um, and he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, you know, it's like, they, I know it's like, they, a couple of production things have come through here to do TV shows about it, and they've always asked me to do an interview, and I always say no. You know, it's like I don't need a 15 minutes of fame. I know what I saw. Like, I don't need to talk about mm-hmm. it. Like, I, it's you know, like I mean, he he displays the picture publicly in in, in his in his store. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's a, you know, he's a fisher, you know, he's a local fisherman. He owns a bait and tackle store. Like he knows what's in that lake and he saw something that he didn't know wow. was in that lake and didn't know why it was there and managed to snap probably the, you know, the holy grail of, you know, this is like the Sandra Mancy of, you know, mm. Pepin photos. Um, not any word as detailed as a Sandra Mancy photo, but it's, probably the best photographic evidence that's come out of like Pepin. Wow. I mean, and it's so difficult to snap a picture of anything in the water, really, even known creatures. And I think that's what people don't really get. You know, um, there was that old thing that people used to say in cryptozoology, isn't it? You know, if you've ever seen the car crash, you think you could take a picture of one happening if you just had your camera in your hand and you whipped it up straight, you know, you things happen fast and we're not always mm -hmm. prepared uh to do that or even in the right spot to get it and i think for those people who do see something unusual what they normally find when they report it as well if it goes live or national or international is that you don't get any special reward for that really even more or less you get a lot of harassment <laughs> and then yeah. you might have to wear that experience locally you know as well with people that you know and come into your business and who you work with if you you know work somewhere else so that's um you know, that's a big i think that's a big thing to take on I generally have always offered people anonymity if they give me a sighting. Just a, generally, I'll make you, I'll keep you anonymous unless you say otherwise, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go into it. Obviously, you can't do that when you're filming them, but um, well, unless they're blacked out, I guess, which isn't really too interesting to watch on a TV screen, is it? Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think Lake Monsters for me is always the one. Lake Pepin sounds yeah, exciting because that's. All sightings are more or less antagonistic sightings, uh, antagonistic witnesses, because nobody could be expected to be seeing a late monster there. Nobody's aware of it. I think that's great. Uh, if there are, are there other lakes within the U.S. that aren't really well known for their monster sightings as well that you'd love to check out? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I mean, I research everything. Um, <laughs> And Lake Monsters is, you know, one of my favorite. I mean, Loch Ness is kind of what got me into the field to begin with. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we want to do uh, do some stuff on, like, the Altamaha in Georgia. Um, there was one I came across, Shirley, they call it, in Idaho. <clears throat> and then I think there's one in Washington that I came across. I forget the names of it. There's just, once you get out, like, PNW area, there's just so many. Um, I know I want to get up to Canada and do Ogopogo at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. All the pogos, so Iggy yeah. Pogo, Manapogo. Let's just do, let's do the whole state. I mean, it's the whole um, pogo. <laughs> you know, it just and that seems to be physiologically a different looking creature, something more serpentine and and sinewy and long isn't it what do you, do you think that could be a similar species or do you think you know once again we're well, looking at something you know the difference between a brown bear and a black bear or is this something physiologically that's really different i don't know it, i mean what do they say with ogopo is it isn't like the it's the most sighted mm. of the lake monsters in the world like it just Apparently. like per capita like you know it just it's like an insane number um 
yeah i don't know it's it yeah and you're right that one does it it seems to always take that serpentine you know mm -hmm. it's almost like the like lagerfeuer in uh, iceland where it's like always yeah. described as yeah. something you know snaking through the water and yeah sure that i mean that creature is all the, uh, the scrimshells i think they used to be that goes back to 1600 sightings yeah. of that creature yeah super i mean iceland fantastic place for like monster sighting but um yeah, that whole edge, when they get, you get more northern there, there seems to be more of these serpentine-like creatures. Uh, so same in the uh, Lake Storsian and uh, uh, Lake Selma from Lake... I can't remember the one in um, in Norway, but it's, it's in Telemark, I think. And um, but it's called Selma, and they seem to be sinewy and long as well. These sort of northern latitude um, lake monsters like Okopogo, like the Scrimshill. I'm wondering if is there the sort of a species difference there where the conditions dictate perhaps that it's only um, suitable yeah. for these, yeah, for these types of creatures. I don't know. I mean, that's really going out on a limb there since we don't know what they are anyway. But um, what are your thoughts? Could there could there be uh, several species of these these lake monsters? Well, I'm sure there is. I mean, look at I mean, look at Bigfoot. I mean, it's, it always seems to be. I mean, you look at you look at Bigfoot globally, and it's mm. usually described as similar. But then you kind of have those weird offshoots where it's either shorter or it's taller or it has different mm. colored fur. You know, it's it's gonna be like any animal if it's if it is a flesh and blood animal where there's different you know, regional species variants and evolution, you know, takes things, you know, evolution kind of works on things differently in different parts of the world. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, maybe these creatures, you know, these lake monsters and, you know, more Northern states kind of evolved, you know, thinner and, you know, you know, more snake-like, you know, for whatever reason, versus mm. kind of a wider body kind of, you know, uh, smaller sized, uh, you know, creatures north, south, you know, farther south. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the nice thing about cryptozoology is it's kind of, you know, everything's kind of open to your own interpretation and you, know, you can just kind of follow the, follow the bread, you know, breadcrumbs, you know, whichever way you like. And, you know, obviously try try to stay away from the crazy stuff, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to jump in there to see what's going on, I think, because, um, uh, well, you know, presentation isn't always uh I, I work in healthcare sometimes I, I work in healthcare all the time but sometimes you have patients who say that you know, they definitely have something wrong with them they're just bad at giving their own history at reporting what is going on with them they were, they were wrapped up in emotion and they're unable to put across the very reality of what's taking place and sometimes it seems like a hypochondria and it's actually something very real mm -hmm. and i think you know we can have that with sightings as well sometimes the person is so emotionally enraptured in what's taken place with them or it's linked to so many other things that are going on with the individual that it's hard to pull out the real from what has what has happened to them um or you know it's really wrapped up in local folklore and tradition and beliefs where some of the real animals that a culture or peoples might see have a spiritual meaning within their culture and so the interpretation or the version of the story you get it's got this whole spiritual, you know, almost um, ethereal aspect to it. Whereas they could have just seen a very, very clear flesh and blood creature and attributed those mm -hmm. qualities to it. And I, I think 
think that interpretation is is important sometimes. Let, let's get on to Bigfoot actually, since you you mentioned all the different types of Bigfoot around the world. I recently did a book. Sorry, I'm not trying to plug myself here, but called Harry Humanoids. <laughs> Harry Humanoids. I have and it. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. Oh, guys, so you know. I mean, just theoretically speaking, there could be these different types. There certainly seems to be a big physiological difference between them. Let's look at some of the types in, in North America, maybe starting with Sasquatch. And what do you think, if there are any different types, what what, what could they be or what um, characterization, characterization could they have? You know, um, Paddy, for example, Skunk Ape or Woodbookers and, and things like that. Are we looking at one creature or several different types? It's definitely not one creature. Um, I mean, this is... you're still there you're okay sorry i'm getting some weird static oh might be on my end uh yeah it's not here hold on how's that kind of sound a bit muffled now actually can you hear me yeah you're good you're all good all right, yeah, I've got this. I have this microphone for some reason. It's been being weird for me lately. Okay. Okay. Um, Dr. Zane. Okay, yeah. Uh, Bigfoot. Yeah, I think it's Bigfoot in the United States. It's it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, it's definitely no way in one creature. Like, there's not. It's not just Bigfoot. Like, that's it. You know, and this thing just travels the country and it's seen mm -hmm. by you know, everybody. Like these, this, you know, this has to be a population. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, they're uh, one species or um, varying types. Yeah, um, yeah. I think. I mean, I feel like, you know, and I, I'm not a, you know, I always say I'm not a Bigfoot researcher. I research everything. You know, Bigfoot. You, you can't, you can't not look at Bigfoot. But, um, I feel like from what I've, when I've come across is. All the ones in the United States are very similar to the, you know, obviously you kind of have your regional variants and different <clears> traits <throat> and personalities based on, you know, environment. Uh, obviously the, you know, skunk ape is kind of adapted to that swampy, mm. uh, you know, more hot and humid environment. Whereas the other ones up north and like PNW and kind of up in like the East coast area are going to be more tailored to colder weather and whatnot. Um, but nothing, nothing that I've come across really like stands out as like any sort of like a subspecies or mm. any other uh, kind of strange difference. So you know, I've always kind of categorized all everything as kind of like the North American Bigfoot, and then you have your region, you know, then you have your oh, yeah. kind of relatives globally that are either almost identical or they're very much different. Um, yeah, I mean, I personally, yeah, it's, I definitely feel like it's kind of what we kind of have in the United States is all within like the same family almost, mm -hmm. if you want to put it that way. And do you think um, that is directly related to um, other types around the world as well, with that particular um, species could be um, perhaps emulated again in Australia with the Yowie or the Yeren in China? Um, or do you think they might be looking at something quite different? So, for example, the Almasti or 
the European woodwoves of history would seem to be more wildman-like, Neanderthal-like in a way, anyway, um, at least in its, its description and its height and its build and even the footprints, alleged footprints, seem to, to be that way. So do you think there don't, obviously don't seem to be any types like that in the United States, any wildman types, but do you think there are other Bigfoot types like the Sasquatch around uh, the rest of the world? And if so, which are they? The Yeren, the Yowie? I feel like Yeren and Yowie are <clears throat> similar um, to kind of what you see here in the States. Um, but then you obviously get into like the Orang Pendek, which is always described as being shorter. Mm. Um, you know, very, you know, almost four to five feet is kind of like the standard height for mm. the people that get the chance to see this creature in, you know, one of the least, you know, explored jungles in the world. And, uh, but yeah, but then like you said, like the Almasti, where it is almost described more, you know, human like and, you know, could be that uh, surviving subspecies of human versus a completely, uh, you know, unique creature. Mm. And then, uh, what was the one? Somewhere in Southeast Asia, I feel like they had one where it was almost more wild man-esque, where it... Oh, yeah. I remember, I feel like... I remember Destination Truth did something on it. Did they? Not the rock apes, because that seems more... Um, That's in Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah. Um, I think I know what you're talking about now, and it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, we won't keep people waiting. If, I, if, I, if we find it, you can message me, and I'll put it in the description <laughs> later okay. so we can get back to that. That yeah, I mean, it, there definitely seems to be a few types around, the, and the little ones too. Like they talk about the Jinjari in Australia, seem to be sort of like an orang pendic, but more fierce. You know, they have this yeah. reputation, don't they, of being, or the Aboriginals say that they're meat eaters, the little guys, and the big ones are more gentle. And actually, you know, I've heard plenty of aggressive yowie encounters over the time. It, it's just interesting to me, and I, I can't. It's hard to fathom how could these things have escaped our discovery in the sense of, you know, we've discovered not all, but most other animals, large animals anyway. How is it that they're, they're keeping out of our, or keeping off our radar? How are they doing this? That's the, yeah, that's the billion dollar question. <laughs> hmm. What are your thoughts then? That, that, what, what could be the reasons that we can't find them? Well, you see, they, they exist in a parallel plane that's beyond our understanding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have, you got worried there have, for a second. Yeah, Ash, no, no, no. Really I'm not, not going to get on the woo stuff. <laughs> um, that is, that's one of the things that I feel like interests, intrigues me the most about the Bigfoot mm. stuff is it's how have they managed? I mean, obviously, you always seem to hear about them in like the most remote of areas, but like, you know, there's, at least here in the United States, like, there's not much land that has not been seen. Mm -hmm. you know, pretty much everything, everything within the States, at least, has been touched in uh -huh. some form by man. So either they're just really, really good at camouflaging themselves, or, I mean, you kind of get, obviously, the, uh, 
modern day hikers are a lot more oblivious to things around them. Mm-hmm. It's more of kind of more of, of, of a flex to be out in nature than it actually is to be out there enjoying anything. So, I mean, it's, it's possible that, you know, people have walked right past them and never even thought to think, you know, that, yeah. they were out, you know, but then again, you get into some of these national parks. Like I was just out in Washington in uh, Olympic national park. I mean, you take these trails out there and they're just dirt paths and it's just like impenetrable rainforest on both sides of you, you know, you know, these things know how to, how to move through and know, mm. okay, if I cross here, there's possibility that I'm going to be seen. Okay. I'm going to avoid that, you know, are there, are there bears in that national park? I think there is. Washington, probably, right? Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Did you see any bears? I did not. But then again, you have to look at, you know, the you know, the moose in the wild. Mm. They're not extinct by any, they're not endangered mm. by any means, but it's very hard to see a moose in these things. And they're you know, huge. big animal. Yeah, terrified so, of moose. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's any, you know, obviously some places are different than others. You know, it's going to be probably more likely that you're going to run, potentially run into something versus, you know, other areas, but that's, it's anywhere. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that right there. I mean, if, if, if we, if it's like almost impossible to see known animals, Think of how hard it is to be to see things. I always think like, that. Yeah. And remember as well, you're, you're describing that you're on the trail. You're not like jetting off into the forest. Nobody's doing that. Saying, well, you know what? I'm just going to go left here and walk off into this impenetrable forest. I'm sure it'd be cool. Sure, I'll find my way out. I'll get it up. Nobody does that really anyway, because unless you're like an expert sort of tracker and, and um, you know, um, woodsman and able to, to find your way through those those great skills those guys have, have developed. But even hunters, they stay on a track, on a path, don't mm-hmm. they? They don't just jet off into the forest. And I always ask people, so what's in that bit then? The bit we never go in because we'll get lost and probably die. You know, what's there? And nobody knows. Um, I always tell yeah, the I mean, story I, of... I like to, you know, if I can, like if it's, you know, like when I was out in Olympic National Park, like there's no way I could have just casually walked off the path. Like there's no way. Yeah. Like there's, it was so thick. It was so treacherous. Nobody's finding you. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like and I was walking through and I'm like, who in their right mind was like, well, let's put a trail here. Like, mm. how did you end up here? Because I can't make it 10 feet off the trail that mm. way. How did you end up here to where it's like, yeah, let's just put a path here. <laughs> so, you know, obviously in some areas, like I was in uh, like the black Hills of South Dakota, this uh, back in July, that's a little bit different because it's not as thick. Like you can Mm. walk off and you can see where people have, you know, there's the remnants of kind of just, you know, made trails by the public versus the made trails by the park. Um, And, you know, I like to, you know, always say like the, you know, the road not traveled, whatever. And that's when you're gonna find stuff. But yeah, yeah, no one, no one's doing that. No one because it's that. It's just that it's hardwired in our brain that safety. Like I have to, you know, this. We is, all this know is it. The path. Yeah. You know, that's unknown. That's uncertainty. Yeah, so, we all know it, and that's what sort of, in my mind, gives me the space for something to be undisturbed. Because how often are we jetting off from that path and disturbing whatever's in there, bears or cougars or moose or something else 
we're not doing it. It's the same even here in, in the UK, which has very few large forested areas, but there's plenty of places we could just wander off and get lost forever. And um, we, don't, we don't do that. And yet we're completely certain that we know what's there. And it's like, well, you know, Google Maps is not the same as exploring mm-hmm. um, an area. And there could be so much in a small area we don't even know about. And I was just mentioning earlier that I had this big surprise being from the UK when I first landed in Atlanta. I think it was connecting there some, for some reason. And I could just see forests stretching out as far as the eye could see as I landed. I, was, I said something, what forest is that? And they're like, oh, I don't think that has a name. It's just a bit of wood. And I was like, no, it's not. It's huge. <laughs> like something could, you know, we're just talking. And in North America, you've got that. You've got in the USA, especially these just massive tracts of land that actually people aren't really in. They're not really walking in. There's a probability. Not, it doesn't make it an, a fact, but there's a possibility of, of habitation, you know, a habitat oh, 100%. that's undisturbed. Yeah. What about... um. Do you look at the things like uh, mystery flying creatures, like um, uh, the terrorist sightings in the UK or sorry in the US, or um, you know Mothman type creatures? Do you look into any of that at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm an active, you know, I go to, you know, I do the uh, the Van Meter Visitor Festival in Iowa awesome. every year, and that's you know the alleged pterosaur esque creature, and you know, I, I you know everyone looked into Mothman. If you get into this field, like that's, you know, mm. you're going to eventually kind of dive into that a bit. And then Jersey devil. And, uh, I've been doing a lot into like Kangamato, uh, research in, uh, like Zambia and then mm. stuff in Papua New Guinea. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't not look into this stuff because it's just so, yeah. it's just so fascinating that it's like, okay, this is now we're talking the sky, like yeah. not many places to hide in the freaking sky. But people are claiming to see these large, you know, bat, pterodactyl looking creatures. All right, let's look into this, you know. And then obviously you get, you know, the Native American stories all across the U.S., you know, describe the Thunderbird, you know, mm. in some fashion. And it's, it's you can't ignore it. Oh, that's um, like a widespread thing in the uh, oh, yeah. station's culture? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Because um, I know like David Weatherly talked about it in his book for arizona love his books yeah but then you know within like you talk to like ken gerhard and he you know mm-hmm. he does thunderbird research in like pennsylvania and mm-hmm. texas and you know there's i always come across reports in like illinois and indiana and yeah it's it's a widespread that's almost like a common uh, native story other sightings mainly uh, nocturnal sightings or um or are they just sort of any time of the day, night or day, that they're, they're sort of a mixed bag. I've seen day and night. Yeah. It's interesting to me, you know, especially with those ones in Amboy Island in Papua New Guinea, where they described um, the light. their chests lighting up. Yeah. Some sort of bioluminescence. And, you know, it made me think uh, momentarily, uh, what if you know, sort of our ancient forebears have perceived that as fire? And would these have been fire-breathing dragons almost? Or it look like, you know, these serpents with these dragons that were aflame in some way and it's um it also seemed like a you know fantastic adaptation for fishing at night they normally yeah. swoop over the water don't they that's amazing i mean have you heard of any um bioluminescent sightings in the u.s 
Yeah, I mean, the Van Meter Visitor is one where it was described as emitting light out of its head. And wow. that was kind of what any anybody that came across it, it, as soon as it did that, they like blacked out and woke up oh, hours wow. later and didn't remember, you know, or I shouldn't say didn't remember, but they just, you know, it, mm. that was kind of its defense mechanism was this light emitting out of its head. And that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously with Mothman too, you always hear the eyes eyes glow red, you know, mm. almost almost like they're actually physically glowing. It's not any sort of eye shine or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the stuff's definitely there. The roping one definitely interests me the most because that's mm. the one that seems most widespread and even documented. Is mm. you know, I mean, I know, I know, years ago, I don't know, I haven't really looked into the the laws and stuff now, but I know for a while it was illegal to fly at night in. Papua New Guinea, like no planes flew at night oh. over Papua New Guinea, but you were still getting these people, you know, you were still getting documented sightings mm. of a light flying through the sky. You know, could be UFO, could be this creature, mm. but you know, it's definitely not a known aircraft because that shouldn't be. I mean, and also it's like super rural. I mean, it's a proper rural paradise um you know that, that those whole islands it's very little settlement there and it's you know it's not really built up um so i, I would imagine that you'd be seeing too many sort of house lights up on the hill or, or anything like that either um, i speak to a few people you know, from the island before i think and a few people have been there and yeah, they were pretty much convinced i think there's a few daytime sightings as well mm-hmm. of creatures that just appeared to be like pterosaurs there's been a few things like that in the UK over the years that are kind of hard to quantify, really. Um, but yet yeah, the, the sightings seem to match that same that same cooperative um, uh, standard, you know, that people have seen something that looked like a big leathery winged bird, uh, sometimes with a crest on its head, flying about the place and can you deal with that other than you know, accept it at face at face value? That's that's what they said yeah. they saw. That's what they said they saw. Um, coming back to Bigfoot again, actually, um, some of the the Yowie sightings in Australia appear to have bioluminescent eyes. They have eyes that emit their own light. Do you have reports like that in the US as well? Not that I've seen, but I'm sure they're hmm. there. I haven't um, heard of them either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't really, I mean, I've done some, I've been doing Yowie research for quite a while, and I guess I've never even heard of, at least never, I've never personally come across anything mm. just describing, you know, any sort of glow. That's interesting, though. Yeah, the almost self-illuminating eyes, that, that it was no, that, that I think the researchers, and I got this, these, I can't name the exact instance, incidents, but there's been several, which I picked up from the um, Australian Yari research site. Um, I think also Tony Healy, who I introduced, uh, interviewed recently, yeah. uh, mentions it once or twice in his book, Yari, with Paul Cropper. This, this bioluminescence, you know, and then suddenly we're in this weird area where a possible primate of some kind is producing bioluminescence, you know, which is, you know, complicates the situation slightly (laughs) you know but what are you going to do about that um before we wrap up i think it'd be really nice to just talk about sort of upcoming expeditions what's on your wish list 
and what do you hope to get done next year? Yeah, so I mean, we're going to, you know, we've been kind of sitting at an idol for, you know, the last almost two years. And we kind of wrapped up the our newest episodes in October of 2020. And, um, you know, we had originally planned at getting back out there uh, the summer of 21. And then my fiance got pregnant and I was like, okay, I got it. You know, I got to be here for her and yeah. whatever. Um, so then, yeah, I think we are, you know, we're, it's, we're hoping to have a, a very productive semi-busy year doing different projects and I shouldn't say different projects, but different, different things with Chasing Legends. And, uh, I think there's like six episodes, six subjects that we're kicking around and shooting stuff on. And then we're, uh, there is a Tasmanian tiger dream project that we're kind of wow. quietly yeah. developing um that you know i'm really if if i can pull it off the way i want to it would be pretty pretty interesting i mean that's like my you know when it comes to cryptids like for some reason i've always like said tazzy tiger is my favorite even though mm. it's my favorite non-cryptid cryptid um so that would be probably like my dream uh dream expedition i mean and then there's some other, we have a couple of little things that are kind of early very early kind of planning development whatever but yeah we've got uh uh hopefully six that we'll be producing and they'll be you know within the u.s uh i think there might be one where we go internationally but mm -hmm. um yeah i mean we got a good we got a new new team put together and Kind of a new format that we're gonna you know we pretty locked in on the format now where everything is gonna actually look like a show and not you know the the four episodes that really uh, we released in uh 21 uh they were supposed to be kind of a whole season but they all kind of all the episodes kind of felt standalone uh -huh. um they all kind of existed on their own and it just looked kind of very you know differingly different and so we've kind of, rather than kind of chalking those up as a season one, we've kind of just, uh, you know, been labeling them as just standalone episodes. And then okay. what we will be moving forward with and what you will be seeing in the future will be like proper seasons. And I uh, can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's, we've really allowed this kind of project to evolve. And it, I feel like it's at a really good place where we have, you know, the right people in the right roles and, um, it will be co-hosted by my uh, cousin and, you know, she's been with the project since day one and, you know, her and I have been researching cryptids since we were kids. So it's, you know, it's her and I, you know, got a really good dynamic. So and yeah. you know, kind of have different, uh, uh, different approaches and different theories on, on certain things. So it's going to be nice to kind of, uh, you know, get her more on the forefront and let her uh, kind of share her thoughts and okay. Kind of, see what uh, directions we you know can take and well that um it sounds it sounds absolutely amazing i, I look forward to it and i love you know i love what i've seen at the previous four as well and, and the subjects and and the name chasing legends is a great name you know i just like the boom the way that that sits you know it stays with you get the merch out that's important <laughs> we'll, we'll put links to that stuff in the in the um in the the description later as well Nash, thank you so much for um, for checking in today and for you know having such a great catch up and let me pick your brains about all these 
you know, different cryptids and ideas. Uh, for anybody watching, I'll put a full description and where you can find Nash at the end of the show and um, how you can get involved in Chasing Legends. Ash, thanks for stop stopping by. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye.